And your brain, what your brain does, it's a matchmaking device, if you like, in some ways, all right? It's always comparing what's coming in. And, you know, through our senses, we have an enormous amount of information coming in all the time. And it's always comparing it, what happened previously. And it's matching the two. And when the two match, very little happens. But as soon as there's some discrepancy, you pay attention. That's why memories are so integral to you as a human being. Because how you move around in the world and do the things you're doing, it comes from this matchmaking that the brain is doing constantly. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast. Hey there, how's it going? Welcome to the show. This is Ashton Eve, your host. And in this episode, we're having a look at what happens in the brain when we form new memories, the links between emotion and memory, and how these elements change as we age. Our guest today is Professor Pankaj Saar, the director of the Queensland Brain Institute, or QBI, at the University of Queensland. Pankaj has done a lot of research into an area of the brain called the amygdala, which plays a role in consolidating new memories and in encoding them with emotional content. There's a lot of really interesting ideas in this episode, and Pankaj has a great way of simplifying very complicated science. Now, a quick note to say that I made a little mistake at the end of the episode in the website for the Queensland Brain Institute. For the correct website and more information, you can visit qbi.uq.edu.au, or you can just search the letters QBI or Queensland Brain Institute online, and it'll show up. So, I hope you enjoy the chat with Professor Pankaj Saar. So, Pankaj, you're the director of the QBI, the Queensland Brain Institute at University of Queensland. Can you tell us a bit of the work of what you're doing there? So, look, the Queensland Brain Institute is a research-intensive institute, which is like a faculty within the university. And we were set up in 2003. And this is an institute which everyone here studies the brain. And at many different levels, you know, we're basically interested in trying to understand how the brain works and then what happens when things go wrong and trying to look for treatments for things when they do go wrong. And within the institute, we have a couple of centers. One of them is the Clem Jones Center for Aging Dementia, which is about 100 people. And all these people are interested in looking at neurodegenerative disorders, you know, disorders where mm-hmm. brain function in aging goes wrong, basically. And dementia is one central part of that. And then we have a center that works on things like Parkinson's disease and motor neuron disease. And then we have lots of people who are basically interested in the nuts and bolts of the brain about which we understand not a lot. We understand quite a bit, but, you know, we're in the early days of a clear understanding of what happens in the brain. So that's the Institute as a whole. And uh, my laboratory is interested, two parts of my lab. One part is interested in the amygdala, which is a small bit of the brain. And a lot of people might have heard about the amygdala. It's it's an almond-shaped structure which is involved in processing emotions and laying down memories associated with emotions. And a lot of disorders, like anxiety disorders, are due to dysfunction in these areas, broadly speaking. And then the other half of my lab works with people 
again, looking at Parkinson's disease and movement disorders like essential tremor and dystonia. But again, we're also interested in emotional disorders like obsessive compulsive disorder and anorexia. And we are mm-hmm. using deep brain stimulation. And this is a collaboration with a bunch of clinicians where we're inserting electrodes into people's brains to treat them for all these different diseases for which there's no cures right now. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. So many different areas to go here. I think what we'd love to talk about today is looking at the amygdala and memory and how emotion plays into the formation of memories. But maybe before we get to that point, what are memories and, and how are they formed? <laughs> yeah, oh, memories. It's an interesting question, right? Because we, we all kind of understand what memories are. You know, if you said to an average person, what's a memory? And they'll tell mm. you things like, what's the capital of Australia? But in fact, those there's two kinds of memories. There's declarative memories and there's memories that to do with things, basically, right? So there's memories of events and places, like what you had for breakfast yesterday, what was your mom wearing, you know, what happened on the day you behaved badly and got, you know, got either a thrashing from your parents or you got grounded, all those kinds of things, right? And then there's the other kinds of memories, which are do with action, right? You know how to ride a bike, you know, you know how to mm-hmm. play the piano or, you know, uh, how to do certain actions to do with your motion and getting around the environment. How do you find your way home? Things like that. So those are two kinds of memories there are. So memory is some event or action that's laid down so your body can perform it or you can bring it to your notice so you can function in the environment. And your memory is what makes you who you are. Mm. You know, because if you think about it yourself, why do you behave in the ways that you do? You know, why do you smile for certain things? When someone offers you a glass of wine, you say, look, I'll have a glass of red or you, I don't eat meat. All those kinds of things, they come from your memories, basically. And if you lose your memories and, you know, people who are getting dementia or they've had it, among the other things that happen, the problem really is they stop being the people that they are. This is what people often mention, you know. Oh, you know, my dad is, he's still my dad, but he stopped being the person he used to be. He's doing mm. strange things now. That's not how I remember him or how I interact with him. And that's all got to do with his memories. So memories are absolutely critical part of us as human beings. And they make each of us the individuals that we are. So that's that's where memories sit. Yeah, yeah. Incredibly important, you're right, in identity and, yeah. and all those aspects. Yeah. I didn't know that there were two different types, though, that there's kind of a, almost like a fact or a statement-based and a kinesthetic sort of memory there. Exactly. Are they stored and accessed in different ways? They are stored in kind of different places, but the, the, the mechanisms of laying them down are thought to be very similar. And I'll talk a lot about laying down memories, but realistically, these are just ideas that we have, all right? These are theories yeah. that exist right now. And we know quite a bit about very basic sorts of memories, and we can talk about what a basic memory might be. But when you come to the kinds of memories that are important to us, right? Like, uh, let's say, what do you remember about your mum, right? And <clears throat> there's all sorts of things apart from what her face looks like, you know, what she'd say to you, the music that she liked, things like that. We don't have much of an idea at all of what it is that's actually laid down there. Mm. And that's really the most critical part of our memories. But simpler things, you know, we have a much better idea about. But we can, we can talk about that as as we go along. So what do you mean simpler things like facts or? Well, okay, not, not even facts, sorry. It's like this. So supposing um, I play you a tone, okay, just a sound, 
a sound like that. And each time I play the tone, I give you a whack on the back of the head. Just, and I do this four or five times, or I give you an electric shock or something like that, right? Pretty soon you learn that every time you hear this tone, you're going to get a whack in the back of the head, right? That's a simple memory. That's an association, one thing with the other. Mm. And these are the kinds of memories we know a little bit about. The other things we know about is how you might know you're in a particular place. You look around the house, you say, oh, I'm in the bedroom or I'm in the lounge room. And that's a very simple memory. It's about place. And we think we understand a bit more about place. Mm. But anything to do where uh, it is an emotion attached to it, like, you know, why does that make you feel good? Or, you know, let's say the taste of a peanut butter sandwich. Those are the kinds of memories which we don't have much of an idea about what is it that gets stored, all right? Okay, cool. Let, let me give you an example. The last time you saw your mom, all right? It's pretty clear. My head is very clear last time I saw my mom. If I said to you, oh, so was she wearing a little red lipstick or was it green? You know, I bet you can't remember that. <laughs> no. <laughs> but at other times, you know, say she was going out to a party. It's, oh, God, I remember that time well. And she was wearing blah, da 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 and so what was it about that occasion that made you lay down those memories rather than something else? Right. So those okay. are the specific aspects of memory, which we have zero idea about how to get laid down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. But we are very good at it, right? Mm. Human beings are fantastic at laying down those memories. Well, it sounds like there's, there's lots of mysteries yet to uncover there. I'm wondering with, you know, when you mentioned the example of identifying that I'm in a bedroom, mm. there's some aspect of, of memory that is correlational matching what you're seeing outside, what you're perceiving with something that you have laid down already, right? Yeah, yeah. So memories are two things, right? So one thing is stuff that's laid down, but your recollection of it is always, let's say, it interacts with what's happening sensorily right now, mm -hmm. what, what's coming in. And your brain, what your brain does in terms of your memories and everything else it does it's a matchmaking device, if you like, in some ways, all right? It's always comparing what's coming in. And, you know, through our senses, we have an enormous amount of information coming in all the time. And it's always comparing it, what happened previously. And it's matching the two. And when the two match, very little happens. But as soon as there's some discrepancy, you pay attention. And that's what's really interesting about the brain. So memory, that's why memories are so integral you as a human being because mm. how you move around in the world and do the things you're doing it comes from this matchmaking that the brain is doing constantly gotcha so with this idea of laying down a memory this is some sort of process is this an instantaneous process is this a long process how do things become transferred or encoded into into memory for most of us what happens is that during the time that something happens and is relevant to your life and we can talk about what that might mean, those memories get laid down in short-term memory. Mm -hmm. So they're immediately stored somewhere for a brief period of time. Okay, And that's, what, that's what's called plasticity in your brain. So something changes in your brain to lay that down immediately. Okay, And then over the period of hours to days, it gets consolidated. And that consolidation process is slow and your memories, we think, get spread out in your brain somewhere, right? And then once it's consolidated, it's laid down. Mm -hmm. And it's laid down so you can recall it at some point in time later. 
you know, days, years, months later, basically, right? Then there's also a thing called working memory. You know, when someone just says, oh, just give me a phone call. Here's my phone number or, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you can remember that briefly, but you're not going to lay it down. For most of us, you don't lay it down permanently. You know, you just remember it for five, ten minutes, whatever it, you need, right? Or, you know, when you go and you say, oh, look, I'm going to buy these apples. It's $2 a kilo. And you just try to work out in your head, you know, how much it'll cost you to buy three kilos of this. And after that, it's gone, basically. You know, if you, somebody yeah. asked you a day later, well, what did you pay for those apples? You know, you remember basically how much you paid for it, but you're not going to say them. Well, it was $2 a kilo. <laughs> yeah, it's like a sticky note kind of thing. That's there. a sticky note. Exactly. Sticky note is a perfect example. It's like a sticky note. So that's some of the kind of memory that we have, this thing called working memory. And, and we need that just to get along in the day, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so if my understanding is correct, then that when we're laying down these these longer-term memories, that walnut, or sorry, that almond-shaped part of the brain, the amygdala that we were talking about at the start there, that's involved in somehow laying them down. Yeah, so what the amygdala does is it assesses the environment and tags it with emotional content, all right? That's, that's what it's really done. It's part of the emotional processing circuitry. So something is scary or something is happy, something is sad. It's the amygdala which does that. Mm -hmm. And things which have emotional content really get laid down very quickly and very strongly. So if you think about the things that, you know, we remember, funerals. Most people don't forget funerals mm. that they've been, particularly if there was someone who was a loved, loved one, right? 9-11, that day when those planes crashed into those buildings in New York, unbelievable event. And almost everybody remembers it, mm. right? You say 9-11, you know, those memories, those pictures of those aeroplanes, it's embedded, you know, millions and millions of people's minds because of the emotional content. And for most of us, you know, you hear a song or some perfume that, you know, from way back when you were 15, oh, that was a name. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, your first girlfriend or whatever, right? That perfume, which you haven't smelled for a long, long, long time, but it had a big emotional impact on you a long time ago. And you haven't thought about this for 20 years sometimes, but it comes back immediately. Everything about that person, right? Or, you know, some tune. You, and you must, I'm, this has happened to yeah, everyone. Yeah, You're driving yeah. along. You hear the first few bars of, I don't know, pick a song, you know, smoke on the water, mm. right? And when you were 15, this was like really hot on your list of songs <laughs> you're listening to day yeah. in, day out. And you couldn't care less about this band, right? But you hear the first few bars, now you're singing along to it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's all come back to you. So how did that happen, right? That's your midline action. Wow. Okay. So is it the case that when the memory is laid down, the emotion is inseparable from the memory? Or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Okay. It's your, and those strong emotions, uh, lays those down pretty much permanently. And you know, I say permanently. It's probably not the case that they don't change. Mm. Okay, there's some ideas now that every time you recall a memory, you recall it a little bit differently. Mm. And you lay it down a little bit differently. That reconsolidates. There's some evidence for this now as well. Your memories, you know, while they're in place, uh, they're not infallible. Yeah. And they do change depending on what conditions you happen to be in. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to your dad or your mom and they're telling you about something that happened in the old days, you know, you'll know yourself, those little occasions, the little things change, right? They're not yeah. always exactly the same. 
And overall, the picture stays the same, but, you know, it might be you're eating lamingtons and the next time it was like chocolate cake or something. But, you know, mm-hmm. but the cake issue is always there. <laughs> <laughs> There's some version of it, yeah. There's some version of it. But these are just, the, but the overall memory stays the same, right? Yeah. I've got a bit of a, a, a quirk with that where I, there was a period where I was traveling a lot and I really don't like to tell stories from when I was traveling because I feel like every time I tell it, it just ingrains it in one particular way of saying it and, and then no, I, no, exactly. I lose exactly. the memory a little bit each time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, you, you know what it's like. I mean, if you've gone out drinking and, you know, you've had a few pints, you know, your memories of those things sometimes a lot happier than they used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, you know, it's just the whole, the whole occasion changes. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey Barlant. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of Age Care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week, and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Absolutely. Well, well I could see that, that you know, the, the interlinkedness of, of emotion and memory there can have, on one hand, very positive benefits when you recall something that you're fond of, but also the, the flip side in that when something reminds you of something traumatic, you may relive the emotions of it, right? And this is PTSD, right? And mm. so the worst part of it is PTSD, which is what happens to people who have things happen to them, you know, not just in war zones, but people who work for ambulances, police people, mm. all these people, right? They're, uh, bad things happen. And uh, those memories associated with bad feelings and bad situations, and they can be triggered by little small things and brings back all those emotions again. Mm. So the amygdala is linked to like fight or flight as well, isn't it? Exactly. So the amygdala is there to, you know, basically survive in the environment, among other things. And PTSD, at least the way things we understand, it partly has got to do with the fact that the amygdala now laid down those memories, but now it's not working out that, okay, that event is no longer true. Mm. Okay, that happened at one point in time, but now it's not happening. But, you know, maybe one theory is that the reason that happens is, you know, the amygdala is a very old structure. And it originally was there to help you survive in the environment. So, you know, if you imagine, while we were wandering around the savanna or even as animals, you know, supposing you drink water at the same spot every day. And one day you get attacked by, Mm -hmm. you know, a beast or something happens there. Now, you don't want to go there because it's a dangerous place now. Right? So you have to be acutely aware of this. Otherwise, you might not survive. Right? Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that only it was one-off event, right? but your survival doesn't really care about that. Yeah, It's just there to make you survive and live. And that's very similar, right? Something happened, you know, you're in a war zone or something, and this bomb went off. And that was a one-off event, which is not going to happen again now that you're back here. But you hear this plane going off overhead or a helicopter, and all of a sudden, 
there's a bomb about to go off, which is just not true, right? Mm. But it's embedded in there and suddenly all this memory comes back. And that's part of what PTSD is about, right? And, you know, and for years, of course, you know, people thought, well, get over it. <laughs> yeah. But we know now it's, a, it's something that happened to people and it's something, it's a disorder, basically, right? It needs to be fixed. Well, thinking about memory as we age and perhaps develop some cognitive challenges or, or dementia of some form, mm. what's the process of, of recalling a memory and how does that change as, as we age and these symptoms may develop? So for most memories, when they get laid down, you know, and I said they initially get laid down and they get consolidated, right? Mm. The initial laying down process involves a bit of the brain called the hippocampus. That's, again, an old part of, and intimately connected with the amygdala, this place. But the hippocampus mm-hmm. you need for all sorts of memories, okay? Now, the hippocampus is what does the initial laying down process. The first thing that gets laid down is something to do with the hippocampus, and it's some plastic mechanism in the hippocampus. And often that works with the amygdala in unison. Mm-hmm. Now, in dementia, one of the first places that's damaged is the hippocampus, okay? And cells start dying in the hippocampus. So what happens in dementia is people start losing the ability to lay down new memories. Mm-hmm. So what you find with dementia is that what people, the first thing you notice is they don't recall what happened yesterday, you know, mm. or what happened a week ago. But their old memories, the things that were laid down when they were kids or 15 years ago, those pretty much stay intact because those memories are consolidated and they move from the hippocampus to somewhere else in the brain. And do, when you recall a memory, it's those memories that get brought to the surface, those old ones. Mm-hmm. And that's typical for dementias, all right? People can still remember all sorts of events from the past, right? And it's not just for dementia. As we age, the same problem happens. So this plasticity in the hippocampus becomes less and less the older we get. For Let's say for most people, it happens at some process, all right? That's not a timeline. It's not to say, look, between the, when you turn 90, this is what you're going to be like, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots yeah. of people, when they're 90, are perfectly intact, all right? But mm-hmm. some of them have lost a bit of their memory. And mm-hmm. that some of it is dementia and some of it's not dementia. Okay. Supposing I was to kill your hippocampus, right? And there's people like that who've had a stroke or something and the hippocampus dies. Mm-hmm. You lose the ability to put down new memory. So the first thing that happens is that your hippocampus is active and there's some sort of plasticity that takes place in there. When I say something changes, all right, for want of a better mm-hmm. word, and that lays down the first lot of memories. But if you ask me, look, what is it that gets laid down? I don't really know, right? I mean, what is, is no, we know it gets laid down, but we don't, what we don't know is, uh, like if you think about it, so supposing you go out and have a pie, right? You go to your favorite bakery, you have a meat, you know, an apple pie, it had cream on it, and I paid, I don't know, $3.50 for it or whatever, right? So how would that memory get laid down, right? Like, if you were to put it into a computer, we know exactly what we put down, right? So there's mm. the price, uh, there's the, the photo of this pie, the fact that it had cream, it had a crust, and the amount of money that got paid. And we know precisely what got laid down, right? And if you Mm. talk to a computer scientist, they'll tell you exactly how it was laid down. For us as human beings, or even as animals, we don't really know how the information is encoded, okay? 
So that's one big problem with the brain, our understanding. We have no idea how information is encoded. If you think about, um, let's say, Google, the amount of stuff that gets laid down in Google, you know, there's bazillions of photos around the place. Mm. And, you know, you can do a Google search for whatever you want. You get an answer quickly, right? There's algorithms that are dealing with this. And, you know, I mean, if you look it up, Google has these huge warehouses full of computers where they store all this information, all right? Mm. There's thousands of computers with hard drives in them storing this stuff. And they chew up thousands and thousands of megawatts of energy. Your brain, which is tiny <laughs> in comparison, <laughs> or my brain, all right, uses about five watts of energy, all right? All you need to do is eat a few, uh, I don't know, wheat bigs <laughs> and drink a bit of milk and it's fine, all right? Yeah. But the amount of stuff you have stored in your brain seems about the same amount that's stored in Google, all right? It's wow. everything since you were like two or three years old, it gets laid down. It's in there somewhere, all right? Mm. But how it's encoded, we have zip idea about, right? Google can yeah. tell you exactly what's stored and where it's stored and exactly in what the format is, all right? They know precisely, but for us, we have no idea. And this is the biggest problem. That, that's the problem with the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fascinating and it's, it's exciting at the same time that there's still so much to understand. Yeah, with it. exactly. I'm wondering with, you know, you mentioned that with the hippocampus that that's involved in the, the laying down and that, uh, that sort of plasticity and the people who have dementias will have some, some cell death or some degradation in the... Yeah, and this plasticity is dying. We know that for a fact, the plasticity is dying. Yeah. So their ability to, to do that is, is failing and that's why, you know, you'll see people who aren't necessarily aware but they have some memories of the past that are still very much intact. How does that... Translate to say, I'm sure a lot of our listeners, and, and I know I've experienced this, where you're talking to somebody who has dementia and they are very much living a, a reality from a different time. I'm going to see my grandmother. I'm going back home. Yeah, yeah. All this sort of stuff. What's happening there? Are they interpreting the environment differently or what's the actual reaction in the brain? Well, no. So, you know, remember when we talked earlier about how your brain is always mixing and matching what's in your stored in your memory, what's coming in right now. Like we have this conversation, right? And you're thinking of, okay, what's he said? And then there's questions being raised in your own mind. And that's partly coming from the things that are in the back of your brain about mm. what you understand. And I say something and now you understand it, all right? So, and that's this mix and match process going on mm. seamlessly, all right? Now, what's happening with people with dementia is that, they're not laying down new memories, all right? And that mixing and matching process has gone awry, right? So now it's mixing and matching this incoming information with stuff that was stored a long time ago. So that, whereas you knew what's happening in, well, in them when they haven't got dementia, there's a bit of that, but there's also a bit of what happened yesterday, what happened two minutes ago, right? Okay, the new context for everything then. The new context of what happened. So obviously, in this conversation, suppose you couldn't remember anything I'd said for the last 10 minutes, right? Mm. You know, this, our interaction would change completely, right? Definitely. Supposing you only remembered what I'd said in the first two minutes of our conversation, you'd probably be asking the same questions again, basically, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, this is what often happens. So in these people, that mix and match is disrupting, mm. which is why they're living in a different time. Internally for them, they're in a different space. Mm -hmm. 
So what's worse is that they're not aware of it. This is the problem, okay? Whereas you talking to them are thinking, why are you talking about this? Mm. Because it's not relevant for that person. That's relevant to them then, right? Because as far as their brain is concerned, that match is taken with those memories, right? And this is, you know, the most awful thing about dementia, where the person, they know at some level, but not at the full level. Yeah. For them, it seems normal. You can't take that away from them, right? Mm-hmm. And telling them, look, that's not the way it is not going to help. Yeah, that's going to make people distressed. And you know, this, this is what you hear again and again, that they've stopped being the person that they were. Mm. And that's really got to do with that mix-up in the memories process. Going back to that idea of, you know, somebody when they have dementia, they're, they're lost or grandma's gone or the memories that they had are, are not the same or their identity isn't accessible. Are those memories gone completely or are they just inaccessible? Look, we don't really time? know, right? We don't really know. You know, the, the thing that you notice in these people is not always the same from day to day, right? The thing that they one day they're 20 and maybe the next day they're 35, right? Mm. Because it's all mon- jumbled up, if you like. What seems to have disappeared is the temporal order of stuff, if you like. In a normal person, it's pretty clear at some level, right? It's not exactly right, but, you know, what happened when you were 16 versus when you were like 25, right? Mm-hmm. You can kind of see the differences and you say, oh, that was when I was this old. And sometimes that gets jumbled up a little bit in, in us as well, right? So four or five years, you might be out by a couple of years, right? But it doesn't really matter that much. But it's never the case that, you know, events that happened in your 40s are this, sometimes seems jumbled up with events that happened when you were 20. It's pretty yeah. rare for that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It kind of reminded me like a way of thinking of it then is that, you know, you go to a library and there's this very rigid ordering system for where the books go, the Dewey Decimal System. But perhaps in somebody who has dementia, the librarian is negligent or they're they're placing books in in, in the wrong area. It's very much like that. You know, your life in some ways is is set out in these bits of episodes, if you like, you know, Mm. which come back and... um, you know, when you were 16, the things your parents did uh, seemed kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But then when you're 35 and you have your own kids, you look back and you think, well, that wasn't so crazy after all, right? Yeah. Because now you're doing them, right? But that wouldn't be, you wouldn't be thinking that if that temporal order wasn't set up in your brain, you know, with the emotional impact that it had, which is what makes us human beings so cool, basically, right? Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, guys, this has been such a fantastic conversation. If people want to find out more about your work and about the work at the QBI, they can go to www.qbi.edu.au. Thanks so much for your time, Pankaj. Cheers. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed. So you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.